Shamrock. Hello, welcome to New Day Vine. I have a question before we start, and if you don't want to raise your hand in church, you're absolved. <coughs> Who believes that practical things can actually be spiritual things? Excellent. Great. Because if you don't, then this message may be so practical that it hurts. So I'm glad that we can all agree that it's about to be very spiritual as well. We are in a series starting today called Relationships. And a little catchphrase is getting past playing pretend. What do we mean? Well, we're going to talk for about four weeks, five weeks, about how to have real, authentic relationships in a variety of ways. And we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to say, hey, what wisdom does the Bible have for certain relational topics? Should be exciting. And if you like practical messages, this is your cup of tea. And if you, <laughs> if you don't, then, yeah. then still Woo! be here. <laughs> All right, here we go. Today's relationship topic is communication. We are going to look at the Bible and we're going to see what it says about doing communication in relationships well. Now, a disclaimer before I go forward is that this is a practical message, which means I'm going to have like a more bullet point style, like here, this is the point, I'm backing it up. Each little point could be a sermon unto itself. And that was my temptation, was like, oh, here, this is the whole series now, and it's bullet point. So if you have questions, talk to me afterwards. I'd love to have those conversations with you, but I'm going to try to hit the high points. Sound good? Yep. Yes. Here we go. Three-point message. Three-point message about a practical topic, but the last point has two sub-points, so I, I ruined it at the end. It's all right, I had to do it. Here we go. We're jumping right in. What does the Bible say about doing communication well? Well, the first thing you need to know about doing communication in relationships is that you are going to bring your communication before the communication even takes place. If that sounds weird, let me unpack it. This is out of Luke 6, 43 to 45. Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. That's, everybody's heard this, right? About yes. bearing fruit? Yep. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Well, no kidding, Jesus. <laughs> the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Now he's equating the fruit with what comes out of us. This is how you're going to be known, with what comes out. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. Well, what do you mean exactly? Produces how? He finishes the thought, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Amen. He's talking about communication, specifically words. What is going to come out? Well, a good person who has stored up good in his heart is going to produce good stuff. And this, I think, is the older meaning of produce, like in the old westerns, like he produced a pistol. Like he had it the whole time, he just pulled it out. You know what I mean? Not like to make it, you know? We have it the whole time. When the time to communicate comes, we produce what's already in us. We bring that to the communication. In relationships, you bring a whole lot. Very little is going to happen spontaneously. Most of it has been inside you the whole time. And this can be either good or it can be bad. An analogy would be when I was a maintenance man. And so when I was a maintenance man, I had one of these little handheld open top toolbox things. I don't even know what you call it. I got one because it looked cool and it turned out to be really cool. I don't even know the name brand, but man, it was hardcore. It was sweet. I could fit so much stuff in there. I could have my utility knife. I could have my caulk. I could have my, uh, my chisels if I needed that. I had some patch and putty all the time. Dude, I had an assortment of stuff and after doing it for a few months, you know, you learn to keep with you what you may need at a call. Maybe they're calling about their sink, but you know you're going to see something else in there that's going to require something. Maybe you need some caulk to finish the job. Man, I got sick 
of having to leave the apartment and walk across the apartment complex almost always in the rain to go get what I needed out of the storage shed to bring it with me. I could only use what I had. Now professionals don't carry one of these. Professionals have a trailer. If you hire a contractor, they don't show up with a little toolbox. They show up with a whole trailer full of stuff that they might need because they're pros. They have spent a lifetime bringing the right stuff, learning what they need, accumulating what they need, accumulating the wisdom to use it, and then they bring it to the job site. Guys, there is a parallel in relationships right here. What are you going to bring with you when you get into a relationship and you have to communicate? Now, you don't have to bring anything. You could keep it fake. You could be like one of those plastic people at the beginning and just, you know, paste that little smile on your face and keep your distance and talk about the weather. But I think the Bible does not have a lot of wisdom about how to do fake relationships well. <laughs> the Bible has a lot of wisdom about how to do authentic relationships well. And so that's what we're going for. And if you want to do it well, you've got to bring good stuff. What do I mean by this? I mean making sure that your heart is full of what you may need for communication before you get there. Anthony, that makes perfect sense. We get it. Well, there's a lot to it. So you could fill your heart with all kinds of practical good stuff, and yet your attitude will stink. Or you could have a great attitude and no practical good stuff. So I would just challenge us to make sure we're filling our hearts with all kinds of good stuff. Who's heard of this thing called YouTube? Yeah, yeah. YouTube is great. You know, don't think less of me. But I like to eat chips and salsa in the evening with Yucateco hot sauce. And, you know, I've been in seminary for years. I'm finally out of that. I, you know, I'm always doing things, writing assignments. It's pretty serious. I like to do something so immature I'm almost embarrassed by it when I eat my chips and salsa. I like to watch someone else on YouTube play a video game. Yeah. Amen. Because then I know it's 20 minutes and I'm done, right? I don't have to commit to watching the whole game. And I, I, I started, well, I'm going to admit it, I can't believe it. I started watching this game called Five Nights at Freddy's. And if you've heard about it, you're like, seriously, Anthony, really? It's like a, a jump out and get you a shock horror game. It doesn't have any gore. It doesn't have any violence. It's all psychological. And then these characters that will like jump out and shock you. I can't get enough, dude. It's been like three days. I'm at Five Nights 3, all right? And I'm like, when will this end? Like, certainly this has to stop. It's all I wanted to talk about for two days. Why in the world is a video game all that I want to talk about for two days? Because I got into it, man. Because I've been filling my heart with a video game. When you're talking with your friend and you want to change the subject to a video game that came out in 2014, it might be time to dial back and start filling your heart with something useful, which I will do right after I finish Five Nights at Freddy's 3. No, I'm just kidding. At least don't fill your heart with bad stuff. There's a whole message there. I'm not going to hit it too hard. It's common sense. Fill your heart with all kinds of good stuff. What might be the most important thing to keep your heart full of? God's word is good, man. What's that? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, man. My mom got it and so did Bill. God's word and the Holy Spirit. Guys, you might not have the practical wisdom someone needs in a situation. You may not be a contractor. You may not be able to bring that. You can always bring the Holy Spirit. You can always bring the character of God. Let's make sure we're full of it. But it is nice to have more than just one thing when you show up. Maybe all you have is a plunger, and a plunger is good. But let's be full of more good stuff than just one useful thing, because that's only useful in a very limited application. Let's branch out. Right. So, how do we apply this? What are you full of? 
Are you putting forth the effort to be full of good stuff? That's better, after the plunger image. This is the question. Put forth the effort to be full of good stuff so that you can bring that to your communication and relationships. And staying full of the Holy Spirit is the most important thing. That could have been a whole message, but it's not. We have more. <laughs> the next thing you need to do with communication, you haven't actually communicated yet. You're just making sure that you have the right stuff for communication, for healthy relationships. Now, it's important to time it. Now, in this kind of communication, I'm not just talking about good morning, although that's important to say good morning, how are you doing, how are the kids, how was school, how was work yesterday, all that's great. But who knows that sometimes in any real relationship, there comes a time for communication that demands a little bit more nuance and thought and perhaps skill. You're going to have to time that right. Here's a proverb, Proverbs 15.23. It says, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. That means you actually enjoy answering someone, someone well. But the other half of that is this. How good is a timely word? Speaking something good at the right time is key to making it good. Here's something from David Guzik at Blue Letter Bible. Amen. Yeah. Preach. He quotes two different people. And he says this, the value in a good word, all right, you've brought something good to the communication, all right, but now the value of that good word is often not only found in its content, but also in its timing. The right word at the right time is a powerful force for good. This proverb sets forth the satisfaction of being able to say the right thing at the right moment. It just feels killer. And here, here are two examples of how timing can make all the difference. This is a, is a gif of Anderson Silva fighting Forrest Griffin. This happened years ago. I was in the front row of Wings Etc. waiting for this fight. Anderson Silva was the 185 pound champion. He was fighting up to 205. This was going to be the battle of the century, man. Forrest Griffin was known to be so tough. He could go five rounds. He just couldn't knock the guy down. He was a tank. This is in the first round. Look at that little slapping thing that Anderson Silva does. I was like, that has got to be that, that's staged. No, it's not even a good jab. He just kind of does this. But you know what made it so powerful? Was the timing. Man, Forrest was rushing forward. He stuck his chin out. Silva was a master of timing. And so a little slappy thing that wouldn't even be a decent insult is a knockout. Timing matters. Look at the car on the right. Did you see that? Dude, what stops that guy? That's crazy. No. Oh, no. If I ever do a message on foolishness, I may yes. use this. But the only thing that stops at least seven or eight cars from being road pizza is timing. Timing, man oh man. And in communication, we have to time things importantly well. As well. I chose this slide, and I'm using extra humor because I want to, and also because it makes a point later. That's right, it's not pointless. Come on. But if you have something serious to communicate, and here we have a picture of a, of a guy and a girl talking, and the girl looks like she's not taking something very well. And, uh, you know, it's important to pick your timing. They're in a park, they're in a nice quiet place to talk. You know, he's obviously done a good job, but I have a feeling he's just informed this girl that all of his shirts are that tight, and he has three more pairs of those shorts. <laughs> she's not taking it well. But... But my man shows the timing well. Guys, don't just bring good stuff to the communication. That's, that's where it starts. We have to know when to open our mouths, right? So here's the challenge slash takeaway for this one. Do you have the wisdom to recognize the appropriate time to communicate? And if the answer is no, 
There's something you can be full of before the conversation that can help you. What might that be? I hear me praying. The Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, it's amazing how we keep coming back to that, don't we? <laughs> so the Bible says to pray for wisdom. And God says he's going to give it to you. I'm telling you what, in relationships, in communication in relationships, we are going to need Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom. Uh -huh. Not only for what to bring, but also how to time it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Third part. You've brought the right stuff. You've worked on the timing. You've got the wisdom. There's, if she doesn't like my shorts, that's too bad. But I've got to pick the right time. Now we actually have to deliver the communication well. So I'm going to go to Colossians. I'm going to read a larger section of verses than the verse I want to read because it actually exemplifies the first two. Check this out. Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Paul is ending his letter to the Colossians, and he's telling them, hey, guys, live this way and pray for me. Here we go. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That will fill them with the right stuff. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message. Paul asked for this at least twice. Pray that a door may open up. Pray that, that we'll have an opportunity. What is he asking for? He's asking for timing. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then he says this. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every, what's that word? Opportunity. Opportunity. See your openings. Man, a slapping little jab thing can be a knockout if you seize the opportunity. He's saying have your eyes open for the right timing, guys, and then use it. Then he says, let your conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you know how to answer everyone. This is the delivery. When you've recognized the timing, you're full of the right stuff, you're praying and you're thankful and you're close to God, you're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, now you need to actually deliver the word. How do you do it? Two things, grace and salt. Speak the truth in love, too easy. We're talking about grace and salt, although you speak the truth in love, that's good. First is grace. I'm going straight to the Mounts' expository so I don't have to make up a definition. Here we go. Amen. Grace is the acceptance of and goodness toward those who cannot earn or do not deserve such gain. Very interesting. There's another aspect of grace that I just learned about in seminary because seminary is good for some stuff. And that is this. The Greek word for grace is also the word that in Mediterranean antiquity was used for a benefactor's gift to an individual or a community. This is actually kind of important because charis, the word for grace, if you're a rich person back in the day, and we have inscriptions and writings all over the place, and the book I read cited them, where you are giving a gift to an individual or a community as their better, as someone who is socially above them. Like, if you're in a position to bless a whole town, you're somebody. But the fact that you're somebody is the point. I'm going to give this town this amazing gift, this amphitheater, this, this something. Or I'm going to give an individual 15 horses. I don't know. And the name for that gift that now started a relationship of benefaction is called charis. The response to charis, by the way, is pistis. That's fake. But that's a message for another time. Jesus in Colossians and in Ephesians, a lot of people think, is shown as a benefactor who gives whether you're going to give something back or not. The worst benefactor ever. Because in the ancient world, it was an obligation, right? 
he gives you a gift, you give something back. Jesus is like, I am the benefactor. I give grace. I know I'm better because I'm Jesus. Have this kindness. So why can't it be both? Why can't the type of grace we bring to other people be an acceptance of and goodness towards those who cannot earn or don't deserve such gain, and also a gracious, beneficial gift? So here's the question. Are your words a beneficial gift, something for their good? And do you view them that way? We take our words very casually, and, and we are in a society and in a time where there are so many words, it's hard not to take them lightly. <coughs> Henry Nowen's book, uh, The Way of the Heart, holler, love that one. He talks extensively about why we just devalue words. We can't do that. Guys, to do relationships well, the way the Bible talks about it, we have to view our words as a gift, and we have to give them in grace. But not only that, there's this other thing, salt. This is super interesting. I almost didn't use it because I'm like, it's confusing and I don't even understand it. Then I remembered I knew how to look stuff up, which saved the day. So here we go. Mountains expository again. Salt. <coughs> this, Christians are to act as preservatives in the world by conforming to kingdom norms. That's what the saltiness dictates. Salt also can refer to a Christian's distinctiveness and unique task in the world and may in this verse have a connotation of living a life of peace and harmony with others. So your saltiness is your kingdom-flavored distinctness that you can't lose. I read in another place that salt is so stable that it can only lose its saltiness if you mix it with a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when he says, hey, if salt loses its saltiness, what else is it good for? He basically means if you get so diluted with flavors that aren't kingdom flavors, jeez, mm. you're not even going to serve your purpose as a preservative. You're supposed to bring that kingdom flavor to every conversation that you are in. So here's the, oh, there, yeah, there's another definition I forgot all about. So good. <laughs> here's the modern definition of salty. And this is why context is important. Upset, annoyed, or embarrassed. <laughs> we can't read that back into the word, can we? <laughs> Being gracious and seasoned with salt. How's your day? Shut up. Amen. Doing the work of the Lord. Bitter and upset and annoyed. No. Context, very important. It actually may have meant exactly the opposite in the ancient world. Check this out. This is also from Guzik's commentary. In classical writers, salt expressed the wit with which conversation was flavored. Grace in salt, wit in sense, make an ideal combination. It's the right amount of humor, it's the right attitude. Relieving me of any guilt for the car slide and the Anderson Silva slide and the shorts joke. Because that's kind of what it's talking about. So you put those together and you get this. Is your speech kingdom flavored and is it delivered with the correct attitude? And again, you don't have to worry about any of this if you've mastered the fake smile and you just want to talk about the weather. All right, if that, if this, you don't have to bother with any of this if you want to stay fake and plastic. But again, the Bible, not so big on wisdom, on how to do fake relationships well. If you want to be authentic, if you want to change the world for the kingdom, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. I'll recap. Communication. How can we do relationships well with biblical communication? Number one, we need to make an effort to be full of good things. All kinds of good things. Pick an array. You have some cool interests? Fill yourself with that. Don't fill yourself with bad things. Right. But primarily, make sure you're full of God himself. 
You may not have the practical wisdom to bring your communication, but you can have the right attitude. You can have the Lord. Make sure you're full of that. Number two, be intentional about the situational timing of your communication. Delivering the right thing at the wrong time is pointless. Mm -hmm. Delivering the right thing at the right time makes, turns a slappy jab into a knockout punch. It's absolutely amazing what the right timing can do. Three, consider your words to be a beneficial gift to the person you are speaking to. And if you can't consider your words to be a beneficial gift to them, maybe the content is wrong. Maybe the timing is wrong. But we should look at our words this way. We're all guilty of taking our own words too lightly. This is why Jesus said for every thoughtless and useless word, you're going to have to give an account. Interestingly, give an account is actually the word logos. It's like for every logos you don't think about, you're going to have to give a logos. And by your logos, you'll be excused or condemned. I say the first one's wrong, but in any case. Lastly, that was pointless. Rewind the lead. Make sure your speech is kingdom flavored. We talked about kingdom a couple weeks ago. This is very important. And if you're full of the Holy Spirit, this will actually be second nature. So you won't have to worry too much about it. And lastly, use the correct attitude and don't shy away from humor. One of the biggest and most wrong stereotypes about the church, or at least it should be, is that we are all a bunch of humorless prudes that take ourselves in the world way too seriously and never laugh and absolutely never have any fun. <laughs> Blow someone's mind by being full of good stuff, giving them a gracious kingdom-flavored word at the right time with a little bit of a smile. And that will help us do relationships well. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.